0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading in 2 Thessalonians. You may be seated. We begin the with the word of prayer. Father, excuse me. Father in heaven, we give you thanks this day that you have gathered us here uh, to once again hear your word. Lord, your word is light in this dark and evil world, and it gives us hope and confidence. And so, Lord. We pray today that as we come here with many fears and anxieties, uh, you would alleviate them with your promises. You would give us strength and confidence to face the days ahead. And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. I always look forward to this time of year on the church calendar. I don't know if you are aware of this, but we are in the last three weeks Of the church year and that's just before Advent Advent will start the new church calendar and we'll make our preparations uh, for Christmas but I love this time of year because we talk about in the readings one of my favorite topics in the church and in our theology and that is the 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 teaching on the second coming of Christ and we're going to talk about the end of all things and this is just such a wonderful and exciting topic if we think of the year in light of the Apostles Creed our focus for the next 3 weeks will be uh, that idea we talk about in the creed that Jesus is coming again to judge both the living and the dead. Now, this is very good news for us, and yet whenever we talk about the end of all things, whenever we talk about the return of Christ, all kinds of confusion and fear and anxiety arises in the church. Everybody wants to know, how close is it? When is he coming? How do we know when he's going to get here? What are the signs we should be looking for to see whether or not Jesus is arising, uh, arriving soon? And now what happens when this sort of thing comes up is that the Christian publishing industry gets very excited and they make lots of money by selling all kinds of Bible prophecy charts and books with all kinds of speculations about signs and wonders. It's not too long ago that we had that left-behind craze. I don't know if you remember those books, uh, these sort of science fiction novels that used a really bad theological view of the end to sell a lot of books. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure it was great science fiction, but we've got to be very careful when we start turning God's word and his promises into a science fiction novel. That can be a little misguided, I think. If it sounds like I've grown overly cynical about this, it's probably because I have. <laughs> I'm kind of cynical about the whole thing. It seems to me that a lot of our talk about the end of all things has become remarkably sensationalistic and much of it capitalizes on the fears of the saints. So what I want to do for the next couple of weeks here is I want for us to talk about what do the scriptures actually say about the return of Christ? How do the scriptures actually prepare us for Christ's return? And so what we're going to do this week is we're going to talk about some of the things that we as the church are going to have to face before Christ comes again. Then next week we'll talk about what we should do while we're waiting for him to come. And then finally, the last week, we'll talk about what it is we're actually waiting for. And what I think we're going to find throughout this series is that while we're waiting for the end, we as Christians have a great deal of hope. And what we find in the scriptures is going to take what's in our heart and fills us with fear and replace it with joy and with with, uh, hope, as I said. For you see, the return of Christ is nothing to fear for you who have been baptized into his name. It is good news. For the one who comes to judge the living and the dead is the very one who was crucified for you and rose again for you and has promised you everlasting life. And so we look forward to this day, this day when we will actually see our Lord Jesus Christ face to face. But now here's what happens. We have this great hope, we have this great anticipation, but as we wait, and it seems like we've been waiting an awfully long time, that waiting, that that anticipation, uh, turns to anxiety. And anxiety always has alongside it false teaching. There's always a false teacher out there who wants to come along and capitalize on your anxiety. And this is exactly what was happening in the church in Thessalonica. Uh, We're going to spend the next couple of weeks, at least, the next two weeks, in the book of 2 Thessalonians. Uh, 2 Thessalonians, arguably, is the first book written by St. Paul, which I think is somewhat interesting. But it's second because it's shorter than 1 Thessalonians, which came second. Did that follow? Okay, very good. Uh, Second Thessalonians was probably the first book he wrote and he's dealing with the end times and what the church in the the Thessalonian church is dealing with is this false teaching that has arisen some letter some teacher came to them Claiming uh, that Christ had already come Uh, This letter said we are from the Apostles in Jerusalem And we just want to let you know Christ has returned and you missed it and this obviously created a great deal of fear in the church Because it was a letter that removed all hope from them. And if there is any better definition of hell, I don't know it. Uh, The best definition I know of hell is hopelessness. Eternal hopelessness. And these people were given hopelessness in this letter. But Christ is not a God of hopelessness. Thus he sends his preacher Paul to them to bring them this needed word of comfort. To comfort these terrified saints. As we get into the text today, uh, Paul is going to bring comfort to these saints, and he's going to do it in a rather roundabout and initially bizarre way. He's going to bring them comfort by talking to them, you know, about that ever-comforting doctrine of the Antichrist. The Antichrist, the thing Jim didn't want to talk about in the children's message today, so he did the Old Testament reading, you see. Because nothing really warms the heart quite so much as the prospect of Satan's chief executive wreaking havoc on the world, right? Right? That doesn't comfort you, doesn't comfort me. But don't worry, he's going to lead a great rebellion and there's going to be attack on the church from within, and he's going to claim to be above all gods and he's going to prop himself up as God, so you know, take heart. Now you and I hear this and we think that's not very comforting news, but it's comforting to the Thessalonians in this. They are convinced that Jesus has returned and they missed it. But Paul is reminding them today that there's a lot of things that must take place in the world before Christ comes again. Among those things, this great rebellion and this coming of this man of lawlessness, this antichrist figure. Those things are certainly at work in the world now, Paul says, but they haven't come fully to a head. Thus, you've missed nothing. You will not miss the return of Christ, Paul teaches them. What is more, when he comes again, Jesus Christ will not miss you. Lord Jesus Christ will not forget you, dear saints, for he has chosen you. But we'll get more to that in a second. Right now I want to talk a little bit about this whole idea of the man of lawlessness that's spoken of here, this this Antichrist. Because here is really where all of this strange speculation uh, comes to the fore. Because you hear about this Antichrist, and Paul's very vague about it, and since he's vague about it, all of us start saying to ourselves, well, let's figure out who it is. So what we do is we get like a mathematical equation that's going to equal 666, and we find our favorite world leader that we hate the most, and we try and figure out how his name numerically equals 666, and therefore this is now the Antichrist, and I know how to fight against him. I won't vote for him, you see. Uh, And then we get all of these strange things. You start looking for signs and wonders and everything, trying to figure out who is the world leader who is going to be these Antichrists, and it gets very crazy. But we're going to set all the speculation aside and just say what the text says today. The truth of the matter is this. There will one day arise some man of lawlessness, someone who will set themselves up against the word of God. And they will do this by undermining the law of God and undermining the gospel of God. They will work against the word of God. And in doing this, they will say that they are more right than what the Bible has to teach us. Now, we certainly see this spirit at work in the world right now. Think about how we're talking about the laws of creation, like like with our body or with uh, the gift of marriage or even talking about children in the womb. We don't talk about them the way the Word of God talks about them. We've redefined marriage. We've redefined humanity. We've redefined babies. We've redefined all of these things that are very very clearly laid out for us in the text. Therefore, the law of creation The way God's designed the world right now, we see this, is certainly under assault. What is more, even the gospel itself, the good news that Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of your sins, we see that this is under assault from within the church. The whole gospel is being redefined. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins are being redefined as acceptance and approval. Jesus doesn't need to die for sinners. He just needs to approve of them. No one's wrong in this world. Everyone is right. Everyone is okay, except, of course, the Scriptures. Except, of course, those who believe in the Word of God. And so we see these trends taking place. We see this spirit of lawlessness at work in the world right now. And many people believe this is a sign that we are living in the end times. This is a sign that we are coming up on the end of all things. And to a certain extent, they're right. We are living in the end times. And we have been. For like 2,000 years, the way the Bible defines things. Things in this world are pretty bad and they are very sinful, and there is this spirit of lawlessness at work. But it has been for 2,000 years. The thing is, here's how it's going to work towards the end everything in this world because of sin is going to go from bad to worse. You can think of sin like like a, like a nuclear bomb going off, that when Adam and Eve ate from the fruit of the tree, they set off this bomb, and it continues to ripple throughout creation, and it's going to make things worse, and it's going to continue to deteriorate over the next so many thousands of years until Christ comes again. And things will go from bad to worse until finally this one figurehead will stand up and kind of take control of all things and he will exalt himself above God and he will lead this terrible rebellion. That's how things are going to go. And I know what you're thinking. I thought you said we were going to find some comfort here today. Where's the comfort in all of this? I mean, it sounds like what we're learning from the scriptures today is that the whole earth is destined for hell any day now. And what if this antichrist figure shows up and catches us all off guard what if he attacks us worse what if he deceives us how do we protect ourselves against him how do we know when he's coming what do we do with all of this here is now where paul speaks comfort into this whole mess as scary as this antichrist may sound to us as evil as this world is right now, with that spirit of evil at work and with Satan raging in the world right now, as bad as all of this might be, none of it is a match for the Lord Jesus Christ who holds you in the palm of his nail-pierced hand. Listen to what, Jesus said, uh, what Paul says Jesus will do when he returns. He says, The Lord Jesus will kill the lawless one with the breath of his mouth and bring him to nothing by the appearance of his coming. In other words, Jesus is going to bring judgment and condemnation on this one who rebels against him and on all things that re- rebel against him and harass his church. But you, dear saints, you need not fear. Because in these last and dark days, you have reason to give thanks. In fact, it's one of the surprising parts of the text today is that Paul calls us to give thanks in this evil world. Why? Because over and against anything this evil world might do to you, over and against anything that this Antichrist figure can do to you, God decided to save you. God, Paul says, chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is to say, You have nothing to fear because the one who you should fear God who could punish both your body and soul in hell has decided to do something different for you. He has decided to work on your behalf. He has decided to send his son to save you. He has decided to give you a gospel message and the only promise that will restrain any power from taking, uh, taking Christ away from you and that is the promise I give you today. God chose you God decided to have mercy on you God decided to save you and how do you know it's for you because you're hearing it right now in the preaching of the gospel the good news that Christ died for you rose for you and reigns over you in mercy and now nothing in all of creation can separate you from the love of God that is yours in Christ Jesus The reality is everything in this world is going to go from bad to worse, but nothing that happens in this world is going to change God's decision to save you through Jesus Christ. Now, the reality is if we want to take this world on on our own apart from Christ, if we want to try and conquer all the problems we're seeing in this world without Jesus and without trusting in his word, we're going to fail because we are far too weak for the evil in this world. We're far too weak. For what Satan is up to. But that's why God gives us his spirit. And that's why God gives us his word to sustain us in our faith. So Paul says this. Stand firm and hold to to the traditions, that is the teachings of the word of God, that you were taught by us. Either by our spoken word, by our preaching, or by our letter, the epistles that you've received. This is why, you guys, this whole hear learn care business that we talk about around here, is not just some uh, sort of cliche church slogan that we have branded ourselves with. The idea of hearing God's word in worship, of learning God's word in Bible study, this is the very thing that will sustain us as we await for Christ's return. We need this word to forgive our sins, to point us to Christ, to clarify truth from error and to teach us to discern. This is where God has promised to work for us. Both in his word that we hear and worship and that we study together in our Bible studies. Further, then, this word drives us out into the world to care for everybody that God has given us with the love of Jesus Christ. And when we go to our daily vocations and we go into the lives of those we love, we are bringing this good news and we are bringing this care for the world that actually pushes against the evil spirits that are at work, that pushes against the work of the evil one. It brings light into the darkness. This whole hear, learn, care idea is the idea that God is at work through his word to save us and sustain us and to carry us into life everlasting. And when you hear this word, what the word tells you is you have nothing left to fear. The reality is it's going to go from bad to worse. Satan will continue to rage. The Antichrist will come. But let the world attack. For you and I, we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. He chose to save you so Satan can't have you. He chose to forgive you so the world cannot accuse you. He chose to purchase you with his blood and make you his own and bring you into everlasting righteousness and blessedness so that nothing can remove you from him. So fear not, dear saints of God. God has decided to let nothing else have you and now as paul writes may our lord jesus christ himself and god our father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word amen let us pray Almighty God, we know that there is evil at work in the world. We suffer this evil. We face this evil. And Lord, oftentimes we are even tempted to participate in this evil. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would sustain us by your word. Keep us faithful in hearing this word in worship, learning and studying it as we go into your scriptures. And help us, Lord, to be guided by this word, to care for everybody in this world who has need of your promises. Lord, we pray that your hand would continue to sustain us as you carry us into life everlasting when we will see you and your Son face to face. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Having heard the word of our Lord, I invite you to please